Hey, this is Jeremy Roenick, and guess what? You guys are listening to The Jim Bob Show. Hey, this is Wayne Larrabee, and you're listening to Roar on WGN. Hey, this is Jim McMahon, and you're listening to The Jim Bob Show. I had to pop a beer for this one. Hello, boy. Yeah. Hey, this is Brian Urlacher, and you're listening to The Jim Bob Show. That's awesome. Oh, and that's then, it. How about one? This is Brian Urlacher. I'm not a bitch. <laughs> no. <laughs> that's I about love that one. <laughs> Half the coaches in the league. The Mondays were the worst. And that's when you really got tested, when you came off a tough loss. You got into the office on Monday. You found out two more players were hurt. You didn't realize the sky's always fallen in the NFL on Mondays. Chicago's been a great sports town. They're hungry for people that play hard. And if you play hard and win, they love you forever. And we are back. It is the Jim Bob Show Game Day Edition. And Jim Bob, it isn't every day that you get this opportunity to talk about the Bears not making the playoffs. Oh, wait a minute. No, it's every year you do that. And this is such a vexing thing, right? Because a lot of teams, they would see it as an upside, the fact that they've got the number one pick in the draft. But really, honestly, Jim, if you don't know what to do with it, what do you do with it? Uh, Yeah, well, (laughs) you know, you take the very best player. And I think that I, I told you the other day, I'm I'm a Justin Fields fan, a DJ Moore fan. Um, I'd take both those guys. I like DJ Moore. I'd love for him to be on the Packers. I told you that. Is that I think, hey, this this NFL head coaching carousel, you know, with all these openings, and and it doesn't look like the Bears is going to end up being an opening. And so if you don't want that opening to occur next year, you better make this draft right. And so with that said, I mean, Marvin Harrison Jr. is is a guy I, I would take for sure. I would take Alt the tackle at Notre Dame and I would take the other tackle at uh, Penn State. I would do everything I could to build a team around Justin Fields, who's, I think, a phenomenal athlete. And, you know, I just don't think that he's had the mechanism built around him, either with a coaching scenario being consistent and uh, and understanding how good he, this this guy can be in a certain set offense. So, you know, I think this this, this whole deal for the draft coming up for the, for the Bears is important if these guys want to keep their job for next year. You, you look at some of the players, especially on the quarterback side, continuity. You, you look at those quarterback-coach combinations that have been successful through the years. A lot of times they're together. Belichick, we'll talk about him in a minute, Tom Brady. Do you think that's part of the reason the Bears didn't make that change at the head coaching position that he did enough, I guess just enough, not to get fired? Yeah, I think that was part of it. I, I really do. I think that, you know, they, they I was impressed with them. Listen, they started on four. You and I both know what we were saying. I mean, how we, how much we struggled with talking about something positive and good. You know, and they're such an important uh, – they're in the midst of an off-season deal where – um, there's going to be so many questions, you know, and they're, they're going to be the offseason questions are going to have some things in regards to, hey, what's going to happen with with Justin Fields? What are we going to do? You know, and do we use the number one pick to start over with a rookie? And so, you know, they've got two top 10 draft picks. And I'm telling you, man, you can take that and really build on it, you, you know, this is how you determine if you want your job next year, but also determine if you want your job five years from now. And so Bear fans have been so frustrated, right? Because, you know, you want to see change. It's If it's not broke, don't fix it. If it is broke, do something, right? And so there's been people that have come out of the woodwork, you know, saying you got to fire everybody. I'm not sure that that 
you know, if you've got people that you can work with, and I agree with you, Jim, I think that they have as much as that last season finale loss may have hurt. I still feel like it's a team that was doing a lot of things right. You look on the defensive side for sure. And if they could shore up, like you said, that line, get some receivers, just get it so that, you know, Justin Fields, if he's going to run, it's, it's not all the time. It isn't plan A, right? Make it plan B or C. And then you've got that. Well, on the historical side, you know, the Bears have all of that history as one of those foundational franchises when it comes to history on the coaching side too. We'll, uh, we'll talk about, I guess, Bill Belichick first. The, surprising, you and I talked about just, you know, it's tough out there in the relationship world and, you know, you need love, even if you're Bill Belichick. <laughs> and do you think that, that maybe he, he well, quit? Well, up with his girlfriend. I told you, I told you the beginning of the season when Belichick broke up with his longtime girlfriend, I go, oh man, that's not off to a good start. It's kind of like a, not a very good look here for Bill, you know? Do you think that could <laughs> Contributed the relationships. Star brother. <laughs> so maybe what is next for him? Because this is a guy that, I mean, arguably, you know, one of the greatest of all times. Granted, you know, without Tom Brady, he doesn't seem nearly as good, but it, has he achieved so much that it would be such a, such a legacy downgrade for him to go off and be a coordinator somewhere? Or is, who would take a chance on him? I mean, I, I don't know. Never going to go take that job, number one. Number two is that Bill Belichick's going to get offered another head coaching job if he wants it. But uh, that remains to – I've got to tell you, some of, these, some of these firings that they did were surprising. I like Mike uh, Rabel from the Tennessee Titans. I liked him. And yep. I Pete Carroll did a pretty good job this year despite – but. Uh, I, I got to tell you, when they fired Josh McDaniels, and you and I have talked about this, you know, we, we have people on our show talking about Josh McDaniels had the whole staff uh, in line with you couldn't give a player a, a compliment. With, you know, kind of like Bill Belichick's thought process. Over, well, yeah, guess what? I, I wouldn't hire a guy that has that philosophy. This is the dumbest philosophy I've ever heard of. Oh, <laughs> don't congratulate a player when he makes a great outstanding play. We've got to keep everything so so vanilla and neutral. Well, that's just such horse crap. No compliments, uh, Jim Bob. That's how you lose a team. It's also how you lose a girlfriend. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I tell you, if you're taking that across the, the if you're taking that across boundaries, okay. <laughs> but, but, but you know, and you don't give any of your the your players compliments, and then you, you turn the same, same thing on with your girlfriend. This food sucks. <laughs> right? Uh, yes. Come on. You can do better tomorrow. I imagine that, that she just got sick of it. No, do these, <laughs> these pants make my butt look big? Yeah, they yeah, do. Yes, they do. Your I'm, butt makes your butt look big. Just, so, uh, just, so, uh, tell me about this. I, I just, you know, I, it's been a, it's been a, one of those days, you know, where we're, you know, we had a bunch of stuff going up in Chicago this week. We visited together and, uh, on studios and everything. You and I had some fun, but. Um, you know, just reading about um, Jared Mayo is the candidate for the Patriots. Uh, is this he signed? I mean, what's going on? Have you got maybe more access to what's going on than I do? I'm not for sure. I'm on top of things. We'll have to get our crack production staff to look that up during the next commercial break, and maybe we'll get an, a, a chance to talk about it. In the meantime, you've got you know maybe Bill Belichick's his inability to relate to maybe his significant others, and then you've got Nick Saban. And this was kind of an out of the blue thing because Nick Saban had, by all accounts, maybe not a typical national championship 
Alabama year, but another great season. Are you surprised? We've heard on our show and with our interviews, people saying that, you know, it's just a lot more work for even a coach, even a legendary coach to deal with, whether it's the NIL or the players or the portal. It just isn't easy, even when you're Nick Saban. Well, a couple of things. Nick was my coach with the Houston Oilers. He was the defensive back coach, and he's he's a very great coach. He's intense, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, all the accolades that come with it. But I heard that Nick met with 30-some players at the end of the season, and he's always accustomed to all of the players going, Coach, you know, I know I'm the number one draft choice. I'm going to go ahead and leave this year if you think it's okay. And Nick goes, yeah, you should go. You know, Nick's recruiting was, hey, you can get an education anywhere. You want to go get a great business degree, <laughs> go to the University of Indiana, okay? Go, you know, go to Northwestern. You know, you want to get a, a degree of anything else. You want to go get an architectural degree, engineering degree, go to Kansas State. He goes, you want to be a first, second, or third-round draft choice in the NFL? Come with me, and this is what we'll do. And so he kind of talks to his players in that sense. And, you know, obviously he's saying something differently publicly. But, you know, that's an NFL farm team. Right. And NFL teams like to draft them because they know how to work hard. They know how to take discipline. They know how to take, you know, criticism to get better. All right. And so a lot of NFL coaches will tell you, we don't like to recruit some of the kids out of USC because they get pampered. The Texan teams, they get pampered and baby. You know, we like hard nosed guys. We like Ohio State. You know, we like Iowa. We like kids to come out of Pittsburgh, blah, blah, blah. And so what happens is Nick has sat down and, and all these Kids he's interviewed in the past, they go, yeah, coach, I'm coming back. I want to win a national championship with you. Or Nick will say, hey, listen, you're a second-round draft choice this year. You could be first if you could do another year. And they stay, okay, and they keep reloading. Well, this year, out of the 30-some-odd he met with, not one of them talked about coming back, okay? Not one of them talked about winning a national championship. Not one of them talked about unfinished business with this team. All they talked about? was NIL money. That's all they cared about. And let me tell you something. That is the demise of football in college these days. It will be the demise as we go forward. And it's going to be a huge disruptor of college programs. And if you take a George Soros approach, which is to let's just go be 180 and go try to screw up everything that they want to get accomplished, whether it's, you know, defund the police or, or whatever campaign you're going out there that goes anti-society norms. And so in the football norms, you're going to have George Soros type guys go, listen, that quarterback there for Virginia Tech, you know, we can't get him to come to our school. We don't need him, but let's get him to go someplace else because we got them on the schedule next year. Let's give him a million dollars to go to, to, to West Virginia. And so you're going to have that evolve. That's coming oh, out. No. Trust me. That's going to that's gonna be a, a dark side of football. What? Where people with money, who, oh, it's going to be a dark side of football. People with money, you want to own an NFL franchise, guess what? Can't have it. We're already locked in with the owners that we got, and it's $6 billion. But if, you, if you're a billionaire and you want to get and play in this arena, you can go and impact your local you know, college football team. Hey, I've got... $10 million, let's play with it. You know, give that kid 500000 that kid 750000 Let's go get, let's go get Arch Manning. Let's give him $2.5 million. And by the way, every team that we're going to play on our schedule, give me the three most important 
guys on that team. I'm going to go give them some money to go play somewhere else. Wow. That's what's going to happen. That's the chess and checkers situation because you think of all the benefits, right? And even the benefits on all sides are disruptive, right? It does take away the status quo, you know, and it takes and just kind of changes some of the ways that things are happening. I'm worried about college football. I love college football. Love get the, our guy. The, let's get our guy, Jeff Perlman, and let's have him. Let's get him on back again, and let's talk about the dark side of college football and where it's going. You know, it used to be steroids in the NFL, okay? You know, we had dark stories in college football uh, with Penn State and, and, and what was going on there. Uh, back in the, the the sexual scandals and things of that nature and and so we've got we've had our scandals in NFL and college football and cheating but I'm telling you what man the dark side is coming in regards to you know you got a kid that that you got on on your schedule that you're going to have to play against that kid and, and another kid on that team. And they're so good. You can't get them to come to your school but get them to go somewhere else. Yeah. And that's that's where this is going to get really interesting as we go forward. I mean, people are going to realize where the vulnerabilities are of this this NIL program, and um, it's going to start taking shape. I mean, you know, it's not so much building your team and winning. It's about destroying the other teams. Or maybe a little bit of both. And, you know, as the, the NIL situation happened in the general public, the general fan, you know, they're busy going about their day. They don't have time to work into the sort of the inner logistics of, of contracts and dollars. But the, the, when you heard people talk about the bowl games, they're like the bowl games are getting ruined because none of the players are going to want to play in the bowl. It doesn't supersede the, whatever the glory of the camaraderie or, or whatever kind of history you can get winning one of those bowl games doesn't supersede the dollar, unfortunately. And you're seeing that. So, Jim Bob, your thoughts, number one on that. Is it ruined? Is there a way back? And then also, you're going to look next year, you're going to have the Big Ten. And this would be, you couldn't have told anyone a few years ago that this would be the case. You're going to have UCLA, USA, and the Big Ten, which is going to be someday the Big 35. It just doesn't make any sense. It takes all of that history and tradition, which is really, I think, the foundational cornerstone of college football. Down the drain, buddy. It's gone. Down the drain. Let me tell you something. Let me finish the Nick Saban story first, okay? So, I want to finish that and then get to this question because they, they kind of relate a little bit. Nick Saban, after interviewing all those kids, all right, and he got those responses, how much money am I going? How much money am I going? Nick knew, wow, this is like the famous coach, John Wooden from UCLA, who won, you know, 10 national championships, couldn't coach basketball in today's world because you got the kids for a year, two years at most. He had Lou Alcindor, the famous Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Bill Walton. He had those guys for like five years. Okay. Red Sherman as a freshman and play them for the next four years and win four national championships with them. He they just kept with. So I think what happened was, with Saban, he sees the landscape's changing. Being a head coach in today's environment, unless you've got you know two hundred million dollars in NIL money, and which I'm sure Alabama could get that, but just keeping them every year and everything that was going to happen, let's get out of here. That's why I keep telling everybody: listen, if I'm Jim Harbaugh, give me the eighteen million dollars, Los Angeles. Chargers, former San Diego Chargers, still can't. I'm still the Don Coriel <laughs> fan, and, and you know, Air Air Coriel guy. But but no, take the money and run. Take the 18 million dollars. Get out of college football. It's too hard to coach in these current environmental and these rules in this environment. These rules too difficult. And I think Nick looked at it and said, 
screw this. I, what do I got to prove? I could get on and I could be on television and make six or seven million bucks and have way less stress. And I don't need the money anyhow because, you know, he, he, he was paid handsomely. And so I think that's what happened to to save and I think the the changing landscapes that we're going to talk about here in regards to what happened to the Pac-12, what happened? It's I played when it was the Big Eight, then it became the Big Twelve. Now it's like the Big Twenty Three. Okay, <laughs> when are we, we going to start? You know, when are we going to start start really having the Big Ten? You know, I mean, you know, how many teams are in the Big Ten now? I mean, why don't just call it like the Big Fifty? Well, and you know, we're, we're, we're whatever it is, but they're going to have to start changing these conference names to something a little more fitting because if you're the Big Twelve and you actually have twenty four teams in the conference, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> and to take the just those regional alliances and loyalties out of it, because that is that is the strength, that nostalgia, the history, those legacies of college football is what gives it its strength. Otherwise, you know, it's just another XFL or something. If it's just something unrecognizable in a place that you don't go and you've never been, I mean, it just doesn't make it just doesn't make any sense. I don't know. I, I agree with you, okay, but I also know that. You know, if your team wins and wins the conference, you get behind it. Okay. It's like, it's like Kansas State. We've got these new teams coming in, you know, uh, UCF, Cincinnati, and, you know, and we beat them. So everybody's, oh, we're winners. We're winners. We're getting on board. So a lot of it has to do with how well you keep a winning tradition, you know, whether you're going to buy into it or not. I mean, let me tell you something. If your team's winning eight, nine or 10 ball games every year, you kind of get behind it. I, I agree. I think the rivalries kind of made football. I, I believe that it's going to have an impact later on. I mean, you know, it'll get to a point where I'll, for me, you know, like playing Colorado or playing Missouri or playing Kansas university, those were things I really would get up for and look forward to. And I always wanted to, when I got out of school and moved on, I kind of wanted to tune in for those games. Now I'm tuning in to Kansas state takes on the Midwestern school for the deaf <laughs> or, or whatever. I mean, I'm like going, what? <laughs> what happened to our rivalry games? No, don't sell them short, Jim. Bob. I heard they're good. I'm just kidding. All right. So we know <laughs> that even if fans are going to lose and ultimately the product is destined for an absolute implosion on the college football side, we know that you can always win with the undefeated flavor of El Bandito Yankee Tequila. And so at a regular season, we're going to be doing some things in the in the postseason. I know for Tampa, we've got some things coming up. I know we'll be doing something, hopefully, maybe in Dallas, Kansas City, of course, if they continue. But to give a little recap, right? Because this was an opportunity for fans, football fans, to really get together and enjoy El Bandito before a lot of those games. Buddy, I'll tell you what. A recap for our year. Let me put it. Let me put it in these terms. We were thirty-four, three, and one in called games. All right. And so I would say that we had a great intuitive vision of what was going on in the league. And here we are finishing up this league. And I'm going to give everybody, you know, a, an intuitive look at what's going on, you know, this week. I can run it really quick for you here, buddy. Browns beat the Texans. All right. Chiefs beat the Dolphins. Bills beat the Steelers. Dallas is going to take Green Bay. The Rams are going to beat the Lions. And the Bucks are going to beat the Eagles. That's 
it for this week. That's all you need to know. Go back, go, go place your best people. But, but we had a great year this year in regards and a lot of fun in so much of what we did and some of our great guests. And uh, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how the, the season progresses to the Super Bowl. I mean, believe it or not, um, Dane, we've still got another, what, four or five weeks of football. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, it doesn't stop, and some of the best football is going to be happening. Unfortunately, if your team isn't in the playoffs, they weren't playing some of the best football, so it's still, for fans, going to be an opportunity to see some great things, have some great fun, and, of course, enjoy El Bandito Yankee. So, Jim Bob, we're going to let the listeners have the rest of the day. Enjoy those games, and uh, Jim Bob, send us off. I'm going to send you off with this. With the criminally smooth taste of El Bandito Yankee for every one of those games, break out the Bandito and have some fun and go take our picks to the bank. And we will catch you next week as we celebrate the second phase of the playoffs with the teams I told you they were going to be in it. Stay tuned here and on great stations around the country, the Jim Bob Show, Game Day Edition. Mm-hmm.